G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A smaller West African nation is experiencing the stresses and the strains due to the tensions caused by the secular and Christian versus Muslim and Islamist influences. Today, a focus on the West African nation, Ivory Coast, and earlier on, I was promoting our conversation today talking about mutiny on the Ivory Coast where there are real tensions that are creating discomfort for Christian believers and certainly worthy of our attention today. And a special welcome to one of our favourite guests on 2020, Elizabeth Kendall back with us today, religious liberty analyst and advocate. Elizabeth maintains a couple of blogs that you can fairly easily find on the internet Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin and also Religious Liberty Monitoring. She also maintains a site which is dedicated to critical prayer requests for nations where Christians are persecuted. Elizabeth is the author of two books. First one was Turn Back the Battle, Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today. And the second one, her latest book, After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. Well, Elizabeth is also an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology, and she also serves as the Director of Advocacy at Christian Faith and Freedom, based in Canberra. Elizabeth Kendall back with us. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back to 2020. And thanks for having me again, Neil. Well, Elizabeth, it is always such a privilege to get your insights into some of these issues that are going on around the world Uh, that mainstream media is not necessarily interested or qualified to cover. And today we're going to be talking a little about Ivory Coast. And if we're talking about Ivory Coast, that little West African nation there, uh, the majority of people, I imagine, listening into our conversation today uh, are challenged geographically, let alone uh, to talk about what's going on in internal politics in a place like that. Uh, give us a, a quick little, in a nutshell, uh, understanding of Ivory Coast. And you've been monitoring this for many years now. Uh, Yes, I have. So Ivory Coast is uh, in West Africa. Uh, It's bordered by Liberia to the west and Ghana on the east. And in the north, it's surrounded by the Muslim uh, states of uh, Guinea and Mali and Burkina Faso. The north of the country is very uh, arid, uh, mostly uh, or largely Muslim. The south half of the country is um you know more is green and with large industrial areas and the very famous port city of Andijan and is uh, has a large christian uh, population the the population of ivory coast uh was 30% christian 30% uh traditional african religions and 30% muslim uh, the issue with Ivory Coast has been the mass migration of Muslims. So they have 40% of the population uh, are 
are Muslims from Burkina Faso, Mali and Guinea. And the issue was, do, do we make all these people citizens? Because if we do that, that changes the demographics overnight and would make Ivory Coast a Muslim country overnight. Uh, and, of course, it becomes very easy when that's the situation to play the religion card for political gain. That's what's happened, and Ivory Coast has been in dire straits pretty well ever since. OK, we'll get into some of the details when you talk about mass immigration, and we'll, we'll ask uh, in just a short while how that happened and how Ivory Coast got to a point where uh, they are now under threat. Uh, let's also talk about what I've been saying, mutiny uh, in Ivory Coast, because how does that word mutiny uh, increase our understanding of what's been going on in this West African nation? Well, there was a mutiny in the military in the early hours of the 6th of January, um, and, and it took place in Buake, and that's important because Buake is where the uh, rebels, the Muslim rebels from the north of the country, known as the New Forces Rebel, uh, really an Islamic army from the, from the north, staged their attempted coup in uh, 2002. Uh, the coup failed and the Muslims did not manage to take over the country, but it left the country profoundly divided with a Muslim north under rebel control and a largely Christian and secular South under the government's control. So Boake is regarded as the, uh, the front line uh, and the fault line <laughs> and the rebel headquarters. So the fact that it was in Boake, the mutiny took place in Boake, was quite significant. But what the mutiny has really exposed... Uh, should not would not be a surprise to anyone who has followed the situation in Ivory Coast because Ivory Coast now, because of the failed coup uh, attempt in 2002, because of contested elections and a violent coup d'etat in, in December of uh, 2010 and into 2011 that saw a change of, of government, uh, Ivory Coast now is left with a divided military. So they had this, these contested elections in December, in November and December of 2010. Now, what they ended up with was two men uh, claiming to have won the elections and both men declaring themselves president. And what should have happened was it should have been dealt with politically. But Alassane Ouattara, the, uh, the uh, Muslim leader who represented the, uh, the Muslim cause and, the, and French interests, I might add, he decided to take power by force and uh, he was able to do that. The only reason he was able to do that was because the rebels had the backing of French troops. That's French tanks, uh, troops and even helicopter gunships. And they took control of uh, the government of Ivory Coast. And to, be re and to reward these rebels, they were then brought into the army. So now you have a divided army. You have an army that's half loyalist, uh, you know, loyal to the government of Lawrence Barbo, and that's half rebel uh, and loyal to the new president, uh, Alassane Ouattara. So you had a divided military and uh, you have rebels that have to continuously be rewarded 
in order not to take the law into their own hands. Well, it is a difficult and sophisticated situation to understand, especially if we're uh, talking about this and uh, trying to just paint a picture for, mm. uh, for listeners that might not be so familiar. But you mentioned something very important there. And as I understand it, and uh, my French is not especially good, but Franck Afrique, Uh, That's an an idea of talking about France's relationship with its former African colonies because there's a number of nations in Africa where France uh, had uh, colonised those nations and still maintains levels of control or taxation on those nations. How does that work with Ivory Coast and perhaps even uh, uh, other nations uh, in Africa? Oh, yes. Well, uh, taxation would be an understatement, I tell you, if ever I heard it. I think Francophique is one of the most most enduring injustices in the world. It's something that is uh, grossly appalling, and it's beyond my understanding why this is not an issue, uh, you know, at the United Nations and other places. Uh, Yes, France had these colonies, I think 14 colonies in in Africa during the, you know, the age of uh, colonial expansion. And when these countries were becoming independent, France brokered a deal with them. And the deal is, uh, it's exploitative. It's, uh, there's no other way to describe it. So as part of this deal, known as the uh, Colonial Pact, 65% of the the currency reserves of these former French colonies like like Ivory Coast and other French colonies goes into the French treasury and another 20% goes to cover liabilities which means these colonies, these former French colonies only have 15% of their own money and if they want any more money they have to borrow it back from France. Now at commercial rates this, is, this explains to you something about why French-speaking Africa is so desperately poor. The other thing is that the, the colonial pack means that uh, France has uh, first pick on pretty well everything. The minerals in the ground, uh, the, the defence of the country, it's a, the France is allowed to station troops in all these countries. They are allowed to supply arms. They are like the only arms supplier. And they are allowed to monopolize uh, the the industries, the uh, amenities of these countries, like water, electricity, ports, transport. So there's a lot of money to be made from the former colonies. Now, this is neocolonialism very exploitative neo-colonialism and it's the reason why these countries are so so poor okay there's some very important things in that and i want to invite listeners if you're familiar with any of those sort of circumstances if you have a comment or a question uh, you're welcome to call our talkback line is open today on 1-800-316-316 elizabeth kendall is our guest as we talk about ivory coast and I've been saying we're talking today about mutiny on the Ivory Coast. And we'll talk some more about France. We'll talk some more about the poverty in these West African nations and how that might even be able to be alleviated if there were changes. And as Elizabeth Kendall says, uh, this ought to be an issue at the United Nations. Let's come back to though this mutiny, Elizabeth Kendall, because you've got a divided military with loyalties on one side 
which are secular Christian, and loyalties on the other side, which are Muslim Islamic. Now, this mutiny is coming from the Islamic side of the military. Well, that's right. But you see, this is where Frank of Freak comes in, you see, the, the relationship with France. Because while on the very surface, the conflict in Ivory Coast and the troubles in Ivory Coast have an ethnic religious expression, the real cause of the conflict and the, the cause at the heart of all Ivory Coast troubles is Frank of Freak. Now, when there's so much money to be made out of your former colony, the last thing you want, if you're a French president, is to have the president of that colony sort of go rogue on you and start talking about, you know, cutting the apron strings and, and having real independence and looking for better deals. <laughs> you know, that's not on. So, and this was, this was where the, the trouble was. Lauren Bugbo the former president uh, and his, his finance minister, who happens to be a northern Muslim, they were strong uh, nationalists. They were looking to cut the apron strings to France. They were looking at getting rid of Frank of Freak and having a more nationalist policy where they could serve the interests of Ivory Coast, where they could make Ivory Coast great again, where they could put Ivory Coast first. And so in, in France's mind, that government had to go. Meanwhile, uh, Alassane Ouattara, not only was he prepared to play the race and religion card for his own political gain, he was uh, f to be France's man. So he is France's man in Ivory Coast. He maintains French interests in exchange for French backing. So the military is divided on racial and religious lines as much as it is on loyalist and rebel lines and on nationalist and pro-France lines. It's complicated. And this is what happens when you've got uh, foreign interference and you've got uh, foreign powers interfering in the governments of other countries. These countries are now dependent upon uh, rebels, and foreign powers to stay in power, and it just creates an endless amount of instability. Interesting little bit of irony here, where you've got this influence of France uh, backing the rebels, financing their military uh, in order to keep control of Ivory Coast, and back home in France... Uh, they've got some issues that are growing there too, tensions uh, with uh, Islamic, uh, the rise of Islam. Uh, what do you, how do you des describe and reflect on, on what's going on in France, Elizabeth? Well, France, like Germany and the Netherlands, right, three countries that will all face elections this year. In, Fran in fact, uh, the Netherlands uh, has their elections uh, tomorrow, Wednesday the, the 15th. Uh, these are three countries that have had... Uh, really quite massive Muslim immigration. Now, the situation in Ivory Coast, they had massive Muslim immigration over the course of decades, probably three, four decades before they had, you know, 40% of the population were migrants that had come in from Guinea and Mali and Burkina Faso. They were north, migrants uh, from the north, and they have changed 
the demographic, or if they were to be made citizens, they would change the demographic overnight. And I, I need to actually, having said that, I need to double check that that hasn't actually already taken place. I'm not sure that they have managed to do that as yet to change the constitution. But that's one thing that has been uh, been on the cards to change the situation so that all immigrants will be naturalised, and that would change the, the demographics uh, overnight. So the thing is. I think there's been a long, for a long time in the West, there's been a uh, just a very naive view of what large uh, mass immigration of Muslims means. Uh, there's a naivety, there's a u utopian sort of thinking. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of views of Islam come from uh, movies and television that has romanticised Islam and uh, romanticised this sort of orientalism sort of thing but it's not based on any any sort of history or any understanding of the relationship between Muslims and Christians during uh, during you know 1400 years of history of Muslim Christian relations and I think if you know France and Germany and the Netherlands if if they don't change their policies they are going to end up like Ivory Coast uh, and and this is this is really serious. This is not a small thing. This is really serious. This is the whole identity of a country going to be changed. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty. On Vision. Our special guest this hour, Elizabeth Kendall, religious liberty analyst and advocate. We are talking through uh, the issue mutiny on the Ivory Coast. And with this whole concept of unchecked immigration, you can be part of our conversation, 1-800-316-316. In fact, Elizabeth, let's take some calls. Let's take one from Phil in Melbourne. Hello, Phil. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much. Phil, um, what are your thoughts? Well, my, my thought is, is really there's not that much difference in regards to what's happening on the Ivory Coast as to what's happening in other Western uh, countries, the only difference is, like, if, if they are made citizens, they change the, 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 the not only the political but the spiritual uh, balance in, in that particular country. Um, and then in a Western country, um, as what is here in Australia, is that uh, after a good number of years, um, these... Uh, uh, in, in this regard, uh, the Muslims um, don't take up employment. They don't add to the country. They take away from it. And um, we, we can't afford it as it is, yet um, the, uh, let's say, the powers that be want to uh, bring in another 50-odd thousand and um, they'll just, within no time, flat will bankrupt the country anyway, so it'll be totally broke and uh, destitute, um, just like some of these other countries in a, uh, like, a, like the Ivory Coast. Phil, a good comment. Your response, Elizabeth Kendall? Uh, yeah, well, thank you, Phil. And I think, yes, it does. It, this is what people don't really understand. The degree to which uh, the mass immigration of a people who have a completely contrary worldview to our own uh, does change the nature of our society and does change the spiritual nature of our society. 
there's not a lot of understanding um, amongst people generally of worldview. A lot of people don't even understand. A lot of people who are who are secular people don't go to church anymore. Don't understand that the degree to which the values they hold and the society they live in are rooted in the scriptures and rooted in in Christianity. And a lot of people just think everything's the same. People don't understand. There's not enough understanding about the differences in worldviews in the world and the consequences of those worldviews. And I think, to be honest, I think the church has a, a real role here in educating people in this. And, of course, I think for me the question is, um, you know, it's very nice to uh, have, a, have a diverse society to a degree, but I think we have to ask the question, to what extent does, does it work? So I think we have to have a, a policy regarding immigration so that it works. And at the moment, uh, we're in danger of it not working if we don't uh, don't control the situation. Phil from Melbourne, thanks so much for your insight today here on 2020. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Shelby's in Sunnybank. Hello, Shelby. Hello, Melbourne, thanks so much for your insight today here on 2020. Shelby, you might like to turn your radio down in the background. Yes, mate, I'm just getting away from it. <laughs> Sorry, Neil. Uh, Neil, uh, uh, Elizabeth, mate, uh, Love your show, Neil, and Elizabeth, love those comments. Every one of your comments, um, I fully and so support. Um, mate, I've got to say, um, we need to take a lesson uh, from all of this in Australia, and our governments really need to do something about this and really get our immigration, as you say, Elizabeth, correct. Um, because, um, you know, I, I see in another... 10, maybe 15, 20 years, that this will be a situation in Australia. Um, I just really fear this. And, of course, um, I go along with um, Mr Trump. I don't support everything that he goes and does, but it seems like he supported abortion. Um, I was on abortion march recently. And um, other things that seems to be that God is working through him in certain ways, (laughs) which I uh, uh, quite think is good. And I just wish you'd do a little bit more, especially in the marriage equality. But, Elizabeth, I'll leave it to you in what I've said. Um, and I know you've said much of that, but um, if you could add any more to what I've said. I just think we really need to shape up here in our government. And I was recently, I must say, I was recently at a uh, Christian um, a Christian uh, uh, Kingdom Business uh, Fellowship where... All of the business people are trying to work towards having much more control uh, in Australia as regards to the government uh, and the Christian point of view. Mm. Uh, Shelby, there's some a lot of thoughts in what you've said there. Your response, Elizabeth Kendall? Yes, I think it all it sort of boils down to something that I think has been made uh, unpopular by certain elements in society, and that is the whole idea. That, uh, that countries can actually have their own identity and countries can say, we believe this and uh, we would like to keep it this way. There's the, uh, the globalist movement, which is actually uh, linked to uh, neo-Marxist ideas, uh, the globalist movement, almost like the believes that we should have like this borderless world. It's very naive, it's very utopian, and the fact of the matter is it doesn't work. If we have a borderless world, 
where does Australian law begin and end and Indonesian law begin and end? So we, it doesn't actually work. It's a nice idea. It sounds a lot like heaven and everything, but it doesn't actually work. And I think, uh, I think people are slowly waking up to this, especially as they're seeing the, the strife uh, that is that is developing in other countries. There was a report came out recently uh, from uh, the UK. I think it's about 30, there are 30, I think, ang- uh, re- religious schools, so they're like, you know, Anglican schools, uh, and that in the UK that have majority Muslim pupils now, and there's a couple that are actually 100% Muslim. These are like Anglican schools that have no non-Muslim students. Now, this is really, this is sort of something that we couldn't have even thought about. And people think it happens really quickly because it appears to happen quickly, but it doesn't. It happens over a period of time. And we're in the very, very fortunate and blessed situation here in Australia where, because of our distance, we're a fair way behind anything uh, that, that exists in Europe or in the UK. So we're in a really blessed situation where we can say, hey, what sort of society do we want to have going into the future? And we can uh, do some work to make that happen now. Uh, the situation in countries like the UK and in France and Germany and in the Netherlands is much further advanced. They're going to have a lot of trouble there. I don't think they'll be able to reverse the situation without without violence in the streets, to be honest. So we're blessed. We can watch it from a distance, and we must be taking note of it. And to do that, we have to be uh, prepared to utter some speech that is politically incorrect, and to be brave, and uh, but still to be gracious, always to be gracious, because we're a people of, uh, of grace if we are Christians. Elizabeth Kendall, let's get into some more discussion, but first of all, let's take some calls, uh, some listeners waiting patiently. Uh, let's first of all hear from Andrew in Victoria. Hello, Andrew. Welcome along to 2020. Yes, good morning. Andrew, what are Love your thoughts? Yeah, look, the other day I, I read a, a fact that, I was quite astounded that uh, 50% of our population increase in Australia is taken up by migration uh, when we're running at about 200,000, which we are at the moment. And to me, that the next nearest, I think, was Canada at 33. So we got 50% more. And then it just drops away from there. To me, that's, that's a huge uh, increase, considering that it's not coming from the traditional... And uh, let's get some thoughts from Elizabeth Kendall on that because, as you're saying, Elizabeth, these sorts of things don't happen quickly. Uh, there's often a, a a situation that unfolds over decades if you don't keep a close eye on uh, these immigration issues. Elizabeth? Uh, yes, and, and, and thank you for that, Andrew. Uh, the reason why 50% of our increase is coming from migration is because Australian... Uh, uh, nationals are not reproducing the way they used to and uh, this is of course the case right across the western world where you've got countries like like Germany and much of Europe uh, are actually in a uh, a negative growth rate and so if they're going to if they're going to uh, avoid the problems that come with a, an aging population 
They need to bring in uh, immigrants. They need to boost their migration. Now, Peter Costello tried to address this, you know, a number of years ago, and I can still remember the front page of the newspaper, that photograph of Peter Costello with all these little smiling babies uh, perched up all around his head, and he encouraged everyone to have, you know, one for mum, one for dad, and one for the country to try and boost the birth rate. And I think it was successful for a little while. Russia has had, got a, a horrendous negative birth rate amongst uh, native Russians. And they're putting a lot of effort into trying to convince people to have babies as well. And right across Europe, it's the same. Now, uh, demographers and people who are interested in this particular issue, uh, one in particular is David Goldman. Uh, he has written quite widely on the connection between birth rate and faith so when you have faith you have hope and you reproduce often the, it is the case that when you don't have faith uh, you tend not to have so much hope and you tend not to reproduce so it, it's like a um, when the country goes into a negative birth rate it's like a form of committing suicide and one of the reasons why Europe has been so big on opening its doors to the migrants is because it knows how desperately it needs immigration. But uh, if, it's, it's to, if it's to avoid the, the pitfalls of an ageing society. But of course what they're doing is they're changing the whole nature of their country. Uh, if they really think that all these Muslim young men they're bringing in are going to look after the old white aging French and German people, uh, they've got another thing coming. What's, what's needed really is a revival of the culture, a revival of faith amongst people. Uh, only with that will you see people look getting excited about the prospect of raising families again. Andrew from Victoria, a great input today, and you can be a part of our conversation too. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Before we take another call, uh, let me ask you about the Ivory Coast that we've been talking about, Elizabeth. And mm. uh, and we'll come back to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have uh, some discussion about what's happening in Australia too. Uh, but the Ivory Coast, this was a small nation, but renowned to be the engine room of mission in West Africa. Uh, tell us what you know about Ivory Coast and, and the, the work that they've done in mission and some of the churches in Ivory Coast. Uh, well, yes, uh, Ivory Coast was indeed a, an engine place uh, for mission. Uh, Ivory Coast had been evangelised by a Liberian uh, evangelist um, who uh, came into... He had a vision of God... Uh, where God told him to pick up a, um, a bowl for baptizing people and a, um, and a staff and to put on white robes and to go into Ivory Coast and preach the gospel. Uh, Harris Wade, his name was. I haven't got his details up in front of me. But uh, he went into Ivory Coast and within the, in the space of you know, a matter of a few years had converted about a third of the population. So this is why Ivory Coast had such a significant uh, Christian uh, population amongst its, amongst its uh, native Ivorian peoples uh, because of this great revival that was led by the Liberian evangelist, uh, Harris Wade. Now, Ivory Coast did go on to be a mission uh, hub in West Africa. And in fact, this is what really triggered me off to the to the 
to the critical nature of what was happening in Ivory Coast back in 2002. The, the coup attempt that... The coup that first broke out in Ivory Coast in, in uh, was it September 2002. I can ch- check that date in a minute. But in, in 2002, it, the, the conflict broke out right above the Buake International Christian School and immediately put at risk the lives of hundreds of children of missionaries and their teachers, and these were the children of missionaries who had gone out all across West Africa. And I just sort of thought, my goodness, this is exactly what had happened in Pakistan only uh, weeks ago, like six weeks or something ago, or a couple of months ago. The same thing had happened in Pakistan with the, uh, with the uh, militant attack on the Murray Christian School, when Islamic militants... Uh, seized, uh, uh, invaded the Murray Christian School, a school where the children of missionaries were being educated, missionaries that have gone all out into uh, the, the, the hub of Asia, into Afghanistan and, and Pakistan and Central Asia. And I thought, this is, this is the same thing happening here. This is a, an attack on mission before it is an attack on, on anything else. So and, if you're talking um, in a in like a spiritual uh, a spiritualization of what you're looking at, uh, you yes. can really see this uh, darkness uh, attack against light in that sense of uh, of attacking the base of of missionary endeavor and Absolutely. and uh, that coming under uh, being a real target. Absolutely, and well, that's how I saw it immediately. And, um, you know, what we ended up with then after the coup was unsuccessful was, um, you know, this split in the country. Uh, Christians were driven out of the north uh, and the north and basically, you know, the overwhelming majority of teachers uh, and medical workers, doctors, nurses and and, uh, school teachers and administrators in the north of the country were Christians. So to have them leave really impoverished the north and the north the north of ivory coast has remained under rebel control uh the rebels are armed they have never been disarmed uh they've had a massive increase in things like aids uh massive increase in in drug taking uh massive decrease in school attendance and it's a really terrible situation meanwhile in the south now that the, the rebels have essentially come to power, the rebels have been incorporated into the military and their champion, Alassane Ouattara, is the president. The whole of the south of Ivory Coast is now in a very delicate position. And while it's been peaceful there, I've never, um, I've never believed that that peace can be sustained. It's a very, very delicate situation. So when you see these, when you see these mutinies happening... Uh, you realise that, no, the volatility is still there. It's just a very, very dangerous situation. And, and I consider it incredibly sad, in, you know, incredibly sad when you think of uh, from where Ivory Coast has, has fallen, really. And coming back to uh, those mutineers, uh, the topic of our conversation today, uh, mutiny on the Ivory Coast, uh, where you've got Islamic military uh, personnel who really are not just going on strike 
uh, but actually making their demands felt uh, religiously and financially. So it's uh, it's a matter of uh, do this for us or we'll cause trouble. It's like uh, holding the country to ransom, Elizabeth Kendall. Oh, absolutely. Are they, and what, what they were saying, these are former rebels. So they are from the new forces... Uh, Muslim, northern Muslim rebel army that have been incorporated into the Ivorian military and now they're standing up saying we haven't received the compensation that you said we'd get if we helped get rid of President Laurent Gbagbo. So they're demanding uh, money and large amounts of money I must say. So they've demanded a house, uh, promotions, and uh, 12 million francs, which is the equivalent of about 19,000 US dollars, in a country where the average monthly earnings is about $160 a month. So this is like five to ten years' worth of salary that mm. they're demanding. And they, they were, they're saying that they were promised this, if they would help get rid of the government, help overthrow Laurent Bagbo, they would be rewarded with this, and they're claiming not to have received it. Now, other people I've read have said they've made these claims before and they've received it before. So how many times are they going to do this? How many times are they going to keep holding the country to ransom? Now, just uh, a month after that mutiny took place in Bouake, another mutiny took place uh, in February, at the beginning of February, right down on the south coast, not far from the, the administrative capital of Abidjan, uh, and this was special forces mutinying. These, these are the soldiers whose job it is to protect the president. There was a mutiny in their ranks, and they're asking for even more money. So um, the situation in Ivory Coast is, is quite insecure, and you know, most of the commentary in the news is on you know, what this will mean for the economy and for the price of chocolate, blah, blah, blah. And all I can think is, my goodness, if Ivory Coast descends into chaos, then I, I can guarantee the church, particularly the church in the south of Ivory Coast, has, will have more to worry about than the price of chocolate because uh, we're in a different era now. So the violence that Ivory Coast has seen will be dwarfed by the violence that could come now. We're living in a post-Arab Spring era now. We have uh, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb and Islamic State have a big presence in West Africa now. The situation will be far more dangerous and I'm really very anxious about the situation in Ivory Coast. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. We'll need to take some quick calls. Uh, let's first of all hear from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, Neil. Good day, Elizabeth. Yes, um, Dr. Michael Youssef has a new book, The Barbarians Are Here, and it's not only about radical Islam. He says the Western church itself is full of barbarians, professing Christians who adulterate biblical truth with false doctrines. While Islam threatens to destroy us from without, false doctrines are eroding our civilization from within. And that's, you know, like you said, the Jews always went into exile due to idolatry. Uh, and that's, you know, God told them, destroy all your enemies so that you wouldn't follow their false gods. And uh, Dr. Yusuf says terrorism will be our, our exile. And what, one thing the opponents of Christianity need to know is that the Crusaders entered the fray not as aggressors, mm. but as defenders of the faith that was under siege by the Muslims. So this is the same thing that happens to Israel today. They always enter the fray 
as defenders, not as aggressors. And, um, you know, we can have massive immigration as long as we have it off the Christian faith, and then we'll have harmony. As you can see in Turkey, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to cause trouble in, in, the, in the Netherlands by asking all their people to get involved in Turkish politics. Uh, you know, this is what will happen. Chris, uh, interesting points you're making there. Elizabeth Kendall, a response from you. Uh, yes, uh, a number of interesting spon- resp- uh, points there, Chris. Uh, as for um, the whole concept of uh, judgment coming upon uh, not even just the church but uh, the nations, you know, I, I have a very strong feeling about that with regards to Europe. Uh, Europe has continuously betrayed uh, Christian peoples. Uh, they, you know, they promised the Assyrians, for example, uh, who were their allies in World War One. They promised the Assyrians a state. For, uh, the, uh, at the end of the war, they would have their own country, Assyria, uh, there in northern Iraq, uh, for being allies. And they didn't. They abandoned them. They completely betrayed them and abandoned them. And about a third of their number were then massacred in the subsequent massacres when they were just abandoned in a sea of, of, of Arab and Kurd, uh, Kurdish and Turkish Muslims. Uh, likewise, with, even with the Armenian genocide, you know, Germany was complicit in the Armenian genocide. There is no doubt about that. In fact, the, uh, the, um, the president of Germany, his name escapes me right now, but the president of Germany on the, on the centenary of the Armenian genocide, uh, this president who is a strong uh, evangelical Christian, he confessed uh, Germany's complicity in the Armenian genocide. And uh, really, uh, the, the Armenians were completely betrayed. It wasn't as if people didn't know what was happening. Uh, they, they were betrayed. And today, uh, Christians are also being betrayed and abandoned in the Middle East. And I can't help but think, to what extent is this flooding of Europe with Muslims, um, you know, a, a judgment upon uh, these on the Western nations? You know, and you know, when 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 Judah was flooded with enemies back in, you know, the eighth century BC, and, and this is what my my first book, Turn Back the Battle, is about. Uh, the enemies were flooding into Judah. To, to try and they were going to planning to conquer Jerusalem. Um, you know, God said, uh, you know, that that the people had to have faith in Him, uh, put their faith in Him. This whole issue of, of of judgment and the church being faithful, you know, I, I believe it's really serious and uh, really true. And um, as once again, it's something that Australia needs to take note of. Uh, because we are in a much better position. We are in a much better position. We're in a position now to take our preventative action, so to speak, and to, and to be praying for revival in the church, to be praying for wisdom in our government, and to be praying for evangelism to really take root again in this country. Thank you to Chris from Victoria. And running short of time, but let's take one more call, Tim, in Eden's Landing in Queensland. Hello, Tim. Hello, Neil. Tim, what are your thoughts? Um, look, I'd really like to see the um, the heads of the denominations of the of the various churches in Australia really starting to step up and work with the government on and going straight to the power source where these decisions are made. Um, you know, I don't think you know, like people believe in the separation of church and state. I, I think it's complete rubbish. I think that um, you know they should be the, the heads of the different denominations should be working with the government, with ASIO, with AFP, with Border Protection. 
uh, in all regards to, um, you know, this is a Christian country with Christian values. And, you know, if we don't do it, Islam and, and the Muslim, Muslim people will. And they already have. They sat down with Malcolm Turnbull last year for a big dinner in Kirribilli House uh, during the Ramadan. And I've never seen them do that with any of the Christian leaders. Mm. Tim, and, uh, interesting points in there. Let's get a response, a quick response from Elizabeth Kendall. Uh, yes, well, I think what the church... Do, I, what I would like to see is church uh, leaders speak, uh, speaking to governments, writing to governments. You know, they can't dictate policy. That's, that's where we do have a separation of church and state. We're not like uh, Europe in the Middle Ages where the popes ran things. We do have separation of church and state. But the thing is, we've, we've taken our separation to, to a level that it was never meant to be. We've become not just separated from uh, ruling, we've separated ourselves to the point of disengagement and that's, that's what's wrong. The church has uh, almost like given up on society, given up on governance. We must be engaged, we must be alert, we must be engaged, we must be prayerful, we must be writing and uh, I'm, I'm sort of I'm with you on that one, but probably with, on a slightly different slant. But absolutely, Tim, the churches need to get engaged. Tim from Eden's Landing, thanks so much for your insight today here on 2020. We won't be able to take any more calls. Just a couple of minutes remaining in our conversation, Elizabeth Kendall. Uh, some people will be saying, "How do I get more information about these things we're talking about today?" And uh, to point people to your websites now, you are in fact maintaining a whole bunch of different websites and blogs. One of those is called the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin and then another one, Religious Liberty Monitoring. You also have a Critical Prayer Requests site, but all of those can be accessed when you simply Google Elizabeth Kendall or go to elizabethkendall.com. Uh, so, Elizabeth, uh, people can go and to those websites, get more access, and uh, it's like uh, you've got various levels. You can get deeper and deeper into some of these discussions. Yes, it is, but it's really my aim. The whole core of my ministry is, is a desire to see the church united in prayer for the church. So the, whole, the real core of my ministry is the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin, and that is to inform the church of what's happening to the church in the world so that they can pray strategically for the church. And for me, this to me is a way that that prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you know, that, that prayer that, that uh, they would be one just as, as you and I, the Father and I are one, the prayer that we would be one, uh, this is a prayer that can be answered if we will just step up in solidarity, the church praying for the church. So the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin comes out every week. It's, got pre it's only brief, usually four paragraphs with some prayer points that have been prayed over, I can tell you, well before in advance, and then a little summary that can go in church bulletins or be used in small groups because I really believe you know, in the power of prayer and God's desire to answer our prayers. So I would really encourage people to look that up and to sign on. It's free and to be start praying for their brothers and sisters who are under threat and who are suffering. Elizabeth, as uh, I thank you for your insights, I'll point people to, as well, to those books you mentioned Turn Back the Battle, Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, and also 
After Saturday comes Sunday, understanding the Christian crisis in the Middle East. And uh, as I understand it, both those books available through Vision Store as well for listeners who are uh, used to using Vision Store. Elizabeth Kendall, Adjunct Research Fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology. People can actually be in touch with Melbourne School of Theology and they can get into uh, how they can uh, get details on how they can actually do some study themselves uh, in the study of Islam and other faiths. And Elizabeth also, a Director of Advocacy at Christian Faith and Freedom based in Canberra. Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking time to uh, to unpack some of this complicated and yet such important issue today uh, with regards to immigration. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.